0: Hey there, it's Curious City audio producer Stephen Jackson. And on today's show, we reveal the finalists in our 2020 haiku contest, and the inspiration behind the winning poems. My window looks out over an alley, and I see a brick wall on the other side, and that's where I've been for the last, uh, what, nine months. And later, the Chicago River speaks. I have yeah. blazed my own trail to transform Chicago from swamp prairie into a boom town. <laughs> that's all coming up.
1: Hey, I'm Mackenzie Crossan, Curious City Digital Producer.
0: And I'm Stephen Jackson. And 2020 is almost over, which can mean only one thing. It's time to announce the winner of Curious City's 2020 Haiku Contest.
1: But first, a little bit of background. A couple months back, we were working on a story about remote education this year, and we came across this piece of tape from teacher Michael Rodriguez.
0: Yeah, Michael was reflecting on the year so far, and this one thing he said really jumped out at us because it was actually kind of poetic. Uh, So here's that piece of tape with a little artistic embellishment. I just kind of assume things are going to get worse, (laughs) and hopefully I'm wrong.
1: So as you can't help but hear, that sounds an awful lot like a haiku. And this gave us an idea. What better way to reflect on and wrap up a tough year than with a poetry contest?
0: So we asked you to send us your haikus about 2020 and people you delivered.
1: We got lots of responses and some themes emerged.
0: Yeah, and we learned a lot about Curiosity listeners. It seems like you don't like Zoom, uh, you're not crazy about electoral politics, uh, and your experience of time has been mushy.
1: Yeah, and you also expressed a really wide range of emotions from the really heavy and dark and bleak to the joyful moments with families or pets or loved ones.
0: And after we got all of these haikus, the real work began because we had to pick a winner. So we got together with Michael Rodriguez, the teacher who accidentally inspired this whole thing, and narrowed it down to three finalists.
1: Then we asked you, our listeners, to pick the winner. And now the results are in.
0: Right, so let's get to it. Uh, coming in at third place, we have Holly Stamis with this haiku. The
4: dishwasher runs filled with too many glasses. Three times a day now.
0: So I uh, can really relate to this haiku. I feel like I've been doing the dishes constantly in the last few months, uh, but I live alone. I don't have any excuse. Holly, on the other hand, has uh, three kids at home.
4: So if you've had kids, you know that for every sip of water they take, they seem to find a new glass, and then they seem to leave it somewhere else. And I think there's definitely... um, a little extra day drinking going on. Um, But I think the thing that really hit us was just the like the incessant, just all of us home for all of our meals, all of our snacks, everything we were doing. And it just, it piled up. And so I come to the kitchen with an armload of glasses again, from various corners of bedrooms and bathroom and Uh, I, it was just a moment as I'm filling it, I'm like, why, why are there, why are there so many dishes? Why are there so many glasses? (laughs) Who's drinking all these drinks?
1: (laughs) Okay, moving right along to second place, we have a poem from Brad McLean. As you'll hear, Brad didn't stick to the traditional haiku form, which is fine by us, because sometimes you just need more than 17 syllables.
0: Spring. I know someone who knows someone who knows someone. Summer, I know someone who knows someone. Fall, I know someone. Well, first of all, great delivery, Brad McLean. (laughs) Uh, But the someone here uh, is someone who has COVID-19. And Brad says he wanted to capture the slow onset of COVID in his community over the last few months. It was literally what's been happening and how I've experienced, I think how we've all experienced it. I I felt it was sort of universal going through that that cadence of being pretty removed. And it felt like we were all pretty removed back in in the spring. The summer, you know, we kind of danced around it in northern Chicago. And, you know, this fall, it's just been coming at us in quite an onslaught.
1: And now... The moment you've all been waiting for. Drumroll, please. Without further ado... <laughs> without...
0: <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> okay, I'll stop.
1: Without further ado, may I present the winning 2020 haiku.
0: Cherry blossoms fall and gently float downriver
4: on my screensaver.
0: That's John Tomcu with a extra dusky, dramatic reading of his haiku. John told us he's been holed up in his home office since about March, and he's a little starved for nature. You know, one of the things you start to appreciate more when you're kind of sequestered this way is these little things. I saw a a pigeon land on the windowsill one morning, and it got me so excited because it was like, look, look, a thing, a, a real thing.
1: Well, John, here's another thing. Not only have you earned the title of 2020 Curious City Grand Champion Haiku Master and all the prestige and street cred that entails, but we also just got word from corporate that we can send you a Curious City mug.
0: In this economy, that's huge. I recommend putting pens in it. That's what I do with mine.
1: (laughs) Before we go, some honorable mentions... Thank you to the 5th and 6th grade students at the Skokie School in Winnetka, Illinois, who shared some amazing poems with us.
0: And a shout out to our most prolific contestants, Edith and Mimi, who submitted 30 and 73 haikus, respectively.
1: Also, a big thanks to Michael Rodriguez for inspiring this contest and helping us sort through all the entries.
0: And last but not least, thanks to all of you who sent us haikus. Uh, We hope it was as fun for you as it has been for us. We hope it provided some relief from the daily grind.
1: And we hope next year is better. Amen. Coming up, if the Chicago River could talk.
0: Hey, it's Steven again. So one of my favorite things about making this show is that it allows me to discover and understand these strange little nuggets of history and geography and culture. It's stuff that I might not even have known I was curious about in the first place. So in that spirit, we thought we'd share something from our colleagues at Reset, WBEZ's daily talk show. In this interview, Susie Ahn speaks to the creators of a multimedia project that gives voice to the many branches of the Chicago River. Enjoy. Enjoy.
3: This is Reset. I'm Susie On. Native people lived in what is now Chicago for centuries before Europeans showed up. But why did they pick this spot? Well, one key reason was the many branches of the Chicago River flowing into Lake Michigan. That's right. It was a transportation hub. Colonial settlers realized the importance and potential of the river and the city quickly grew on its banks. In the early 20th century, the flow of the river was reversed. It was an engineering achievement akin to going to the moon. But just as the river united Chicago, it's divided the city, too, along geographical, ethnic, and racial lines. A new multimedia project at UIC was, has the six branches of the river telling their own story. It's called The River Speaks. It's the brainchild of student Tristan Ortiz. Tristan is here along with Professor Rachel Haverlock. She's the founder and director of the UIC Freshwater Lab. Tristan, Rachel, welcome to Reset.
2: Great to be here. Thank you, Lisa. Yes, great to be here. Hello.
3: Well, Tristan, um, I'll start with you. What made you so curious about the six branches of the Chicago
1: River?
5: I, what made me curious about is is living near them, seeing how different they were, and each each branch has their own like set personality, has their own characteristics that is completely different across the board. I thought one way of presenting that was actually personifying them. In a way that makes them unique and care and have their own like set person personality, and I thought the best way to do that was was like look at what's around the river already, look at who's being affected by the river, who's using the river, and I just took those you know um, those characteristics around the river and just put them into the personas that I created.
3: And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but but first, you know the importance. Talk a little bit about the importance of the river to the native peoples, mainly the Council of the Three Fires.
5: So yeah, it, the river is, is is a vital part of the three tribes, and it, it's uh, water is essential for all of us. And back and back then, and now, it still is. But seeing the change that what it was used for before with the three tribes, and what it's being used for now. I think we need to understand what how to treat our water better and how to be have a mutual relationship with the water and I think looking at the three tribes is the best way of doing that is looking at their culture and looking how they understood the water I think will help us understand the water moving forward I use a lot of that information I got from learning and researching them to include those those um into like those details into the writing. Mm-hmm.
3: And, and I mean, when we look at uh, the city of Chicago today, the, the river um, has been very important mm-hmm. in the growth of the city.
5: Oh, absolutely. Um, which is funny because I think people think growth with like the adding of the canal and channel, like those are, or the reversing of the river. That's when people like kind of realize like, Oh wow, what a transportation hub this place is going to be. This is we're we're sending all our wastewater away and that means like our city's gonna look better as we have more people coming in. But it's it's always when the industrialization happens, that's when we see people like actually like realize that the river's there or something because it's usually ignored for so long by the colonial settlers. They know they know what it's for, but they said like, the potential isn't there until we make it possible, knowing very well that Native Americans have lived there for, you know, centuries using the river as they, they've they done for those centuries. Mm-hmm. But it's always considered, like, not. It's primitive. It's not innovative because they haven't done anything to the river, which is a very backward wave, uh, thinking, no pun intended.
3: Right. Well, well, let's talk about, um, uh, the, the creative uh, process of this project. You, you mentioned, um, each branch kind of has its own personality. Um, how did you land on, on this format of, of storytelling and, um, the, the voices that you've brought into it?
5: Um, funny inspiration was like thinking of like a, a large narrative and, um, Usually large narratives for me, I read them in comic books. So you have different characters living one, within one universe being affected by each of, those, each of their actions. So I kind of made this water universe where these branches exist. And kind of, I wanted to demonstrate how communities exist in these branches through giving the river a voice. Giving something that hasn't ever spoken a voice and, and doing that with dividing it into branches because the river itself has been so split up. And so it, it, it doesn't, like, the fact about the river is that it doesn't feel like a river. It's, it's split up in different parts that are different from, well, different from each other. But it's, it's, it's how we, we, we interact with it. Where you go to the south side, to the south branch, you don't have that much green space to be near the river or if you're near the standard ship canal, you don't have access to the river, but if you're on the north side, you have plenty of access to the river, and I wanted to to highlight these disparities through the characters, and like taking the north branch, who's living in a gentrified neighborhood, and taking that perspective of someone who's lived in a gentrified neighborhood. Like, I used to live in Logan Square during um, gentr- gentrification, so I... I kind of just use some of that information as, like, living there and also reading what people have said about gentrification. And that's, like, the North Branch and the South Branch is, like, represented as a youth activist, a Black Matters, a Black Lives Matter activist who is fighting for water rights, fighting for human um, dignity along the banks of the river. So I wanted to portray that to your characters.
3: Now, now Rachel, how did you help Tristan... Take this from an idea to what it is now.
2: I mean, one of the great outcomes of this pandemic is that I really had to rethink my research on the Chicago area waterway system on the river. And very organically, a group of us, Tristan and about seven others, we just came together in these months and had this very collaborative process of research and brainstorming. And Tristan is absolutely brilliant. And so this idea Mm -hmm. of embodying the rivers came to his mind. And Anish Taylor and Erica Chavez, Kathleen Blackburn, Sitlali Trujillo, these are all members of our team. And but Tristan thought of these branches. He wrote the script. And then we reached out to prominent Chicago actors and activists and artists to be the voices of, of the branches of, a, of our rivers. So you know, in this moment when we're all really stuck at home, it's a great time to elevate our locality in terms of what it gives us and how it nurtures us. But it's also a key time for us to rethink these relationships. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just brought people together and had the research and this is this is really Tristan's artistic output. And I couldn't be more delighted in every stage of it.
3: Let's take a little listen then to um, uh, some of the sanitary ship canal.
2: I have blazed
0: my own trail to transform Chicago from swamp prairie into a boom town. <laughs> I make Chicago matter. Not the main stem, not the north branch, and especially not the south branch, the most ungrateful branch of the city. They spout off about my existence as one of irreparable harm, as if I have tainted this city with greed and gluttony, that I'm allowed to be a massive public health risk and affect the neighborhoods around me.
3: (laughs) Okay, so who was that voice, and why is this branch both so important yet maybe hated by many residents?
2: Yeah, so here we heard from the Sanitarian Ship Canal, voiced by actor Ross Compton. And we've got to tune in to this canal these days. Most Chicagoans historically have marveled at our Backward River, hence the name of the website where the branches speak, thebackwardriver.org. We've marveled at this engineering feat as we've outsourced its management to the military, to the Army Corps of Engineers. The sanitary and shift canal takes Chicago's waste and conveys it all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, where it contributes to a dead zone the size of New Jersey. And not only are we harming the Gulf of Mexico and those communities, but the sanitary ship canal regularly backs up and floods cities and streets and even our home uh, with untreated sewage. So a lot of this project to tune in to these branches of the river is for us to rethink it. Mm -hmm. And the freshwater lab is very actively engaged in a project to stop treating this valuable water combined with rain as waste to be offshore to the global South. And we want to start thinking about it as an asset and a value and to build a whole industry of water recycling, you know, right here in the, in the Chicago area. So it's done and the canal has played an important role in allowing the city to grow as it has, but that was all premised on treating water like waste and making it someone else's problem. Mm -hmm. And we're saying this is no longer a problem, right? We've got to treat this. We've got water in a time of climate change, and we really have to transform our orientation.
3: So uh, I want to hear from another branch, and and, uh, the Sanitary Ship Canal kind of called out the North Branch. So let's take a listen from the North Branch.
1: They said, this is just what I need to turn myself around to make me more welcoming and open. But who am I welcoming and open to? All of my friends can't even afford to live here anymore. And it's just a bunch of white people now. And the city had plenty of opportunities to renovate when communities of color were still here before they were priced out of their home. One of the biggest changes that I'm going through is General Iron's relocation. Their plant is one of the few industrial corridors I still have left. But now I'm finally getting that tumor removed. Well, I wish it was actually being removed. Instead, it's relocating to my sibling, the South Branch.
3: So there's a lot to unpack in that clip, including industrialization, deindustrialization, gentrification and environmental racism. Uh, You know, Tristan, you you, you talked about this earlier. I mean, it's not just... A history lesson—it's—it's uh, it's stuff that we're talking about right now.
5: Absolutely, yeah. And I think, well, no, I—I I wanted to represent like what's happening now because, like, not only do we have to learn about what's happening before and what's you know what's what's what history is, but we need to also look at what's what what that history has led us to. And I wanted to you know portray that through these characters, like the and Ship Canal. I know it, it's not a part of the river, so I wanted to. Represent that through it's like naivete, just it's supposed to be a villain. You hear and you hear it through that voice, and I think Ross does such a great job of capturing that. It's that villain villainess of the of the canal. It's it's a victimizer of the river. It's it's not a part of the river. And I think I wanted I wanted people to know that this 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 canal is not a part of the river. It's actually very detrimental to the river, and the reason why a lot of um, these like f- urban flooding issues happen a lot of the solution happens because of these because of the canal and because of the channel these are parts of the river that are you know not part of the river but can have been torn into and added in, and, and like dropped in there. and I wanted to you know show the effects of like how a river like how a part of the river would affect um, will react to another river another part of the river affecting it. And I think the North Branch and the can now do a great job of like displaying those like issues going on with um with within their communities.
3: That's UIC. How they view
5: those communities.
3: Mm-hmm. That's UIC student Tristan Ortiz and UIC professor Rachel Haverlock together they've created the multimedia project The Backward River. We'll put out a link, and you can find that link f- by following us on Twitter. We're at WBEZ Reset. Tristan, Rachel, thanks so much. Thanks for Thank having you. us.
5: Yes, thank
3: you. Let's hear more voices of the Chicago River.
0: Let me tell you, I have the best freaking job in the world. I wake up every morning to a Lake Michigan sunrise. And trust me, you haven't seen a sunrise until you've seen a sunrise over Lake Michigan at Reland Grove. For too long, they have poisoned us with tainted water that we are forced to pay for. And if you can't afford it, you're denied a basic human right altogether. I am
1: surrounded by the victims of incremental violence.
2: Hi, guys. It's
1: me, the North Shore Channel here. I'm a beautiful addition to the Chicago River, and I help manage wastewater from the northern burbs. So I put up with a lot of crap.
4: (laughs) Only by embracing our past and our true selves, will we bring about a better future for all of us?
0: If you enjoyed this interview, you can hear more Reset on 91.5 every weekday from 11 to 1. Or check out their daily podcast. Just search for WBEZ's Reset. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. Happy holidays. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Jackson.